right, and welcome back, guys, for another edition of Flag Hunting. Um, as always, you're joined here by Chris and Ian. Um, unfortunately, very, very unfortunately, you do not hear the PGA uh, opening. Instead, you heard our good, our good uh, friend—not really a friend, but we're going to call him a friend—the uh, yeah. Dama Beats from YouTube that we've kind of been using here lately. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, for anyone who followed last week, you know the pain, you know the horror, and uh, we're going to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room, so let's let's address it. Ian, for the second time in 25 months. No, no 13. 13 months. 13, 13 months, months, yeah. yeah 13 months. Uh, Kyle Morikawa has blown a five-plus shot lead going into Sunday, and... I don't know which one hurts worse, if I'm going to be honest. I know which one hurts worse. I know which one hurts worse. Well, well yeah. It, you, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah. I was just going to say, they, they hurt. I guess they hurt in their own. They hurt in their own different ways. Because yeah. let me tell you, uh, so everyone knows, we have our own group chat. And uh, I don't I don't want to call out the boys right now. But we have, everybody once in a while, we have to hush them up and say, like, listen, it's only Friday. It's only Saturday. We still got a whole other day to play. And this is why we do this, and that's why we say it, because anything can happen. And uh, I wasn't counting my monies yet, but I did go back to see, like, man, how much is this going to make up for, like, all the times we bet Colin last year? Like, are we going to be positive? I did so, the like, same thing. <laughs> so I, I did have that prepped and ready to go, so that might have been a little bit of a jinx. Oh, Lord. I didn't see um, yep. But, anywho, yeah. here we are. Um, I know you talked about a little bit with – with Byron on his show, which everybody should go check out. If you haven't listened to that, they recorded uh, last night or Monday night, um, the Back Nine Bets podcast. I think it's on YouTube and on your plat- podcast platforms. Um, but yeah, Colin, Colin blows it. Uh, what is this? We, uh, you gave a public announcement. I don't know if this is satirical or not, but what are, where do you actually stand with Colin right now? Is this, is this, is he dead and gone? Oh God! Uh, this is this is yeah. I mean, there's a there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, first off, I just want to give a shout out for Chris to Chris for literally trying his absolute hardest to like for the intro, like the <laughs> the first two seconds of the intro were the most like. I, I mean, I was a server for eight years. Like, it's the most like I don't want to be here. Like, just <laughs> but let me just like try to sound cheerful. So I I know that customer service voice very well. Um, but yeah, dude. I mean, Sunday was an abject. It was a disaster. Like I I think obviously the only way it's even close between hero and kapalua is the fact that we have to hit the parlay so we would have stood to make a bit more money um you know on a, at least on a return basis on a per unit basis right i don't know how much um you scaled your bets this past week but you know obviously we had 165 to one take on colin with the double for him to win the dp world tour finals and then the hero whereas this week it was a obviously a single 25 to one so that's the only I think point for like the hero being more painful, but from like a pure golf side of things, like I don't think I've ever seen a worse collapse than that. Um, at least not since I've been betting for like what, three, four five years, whatever. Um, I mean, the hero challenge was, yeah, it sucked, but in a way it was, it felt a little bit fluky and it felt like it was like, it was early as well. Like it was, he was kind of out of the mix, like by the, into the front nine, even though he had the five shot lead, made two doubles. One was just a smother hook uh, off a tough lie in the middle of the fairway into the left shit. And then he had a mud ball on the par five. 
excuse me, that he roped up three wood into the, uh, into Haster as well. So that kind of felt a bit more out of his control just because I thought he got a couple suspect breaks uh, on the front nine. And then obviously, you know, the decision making is what it is. It's easy to look back in retrospect and say, probably should be hitting, hitting three wood with a ton of mud in your ball from the middle of the fairway. Just, you know, use a wedge, try to lay up and make birdie the old fashioned win a par five. But uh, yeah, this was a, I mean, there's no doubt this was a collapse. Uh, <laughs> six, uh, I mean, six or seven shots heading into the back nine. Uh, and the, the thing that really sucks the worst is, I mean, holes one through 13, I watched obviously every bit of the coverage. I'm sure Chris did too. Like he played phenomenal golf. I, I thought from hole one to 13, he was in control from T to green. Yeah. He missed the bunny, the little, the little shorty on the uh, par five fifth, like a three footer he missed, but then he came back the next hole, made birdie on that hole. And, you know, like he was burning edges on the 10, 11, 12 footers, the same putts he was kind of making for most of the week. So water kind of found its level in that sense. But from like a ball striking a mentality, like he, he looked confident uh, from holes one to 13. And it, it, I mean, Rom was charging at the time, but, you know, Kapalua after hole 13, you really have one kind of bogey <laughs> hole at 17, but 14, 15, 16, 18 are all very, very good chances to make a birdie. Um, and the fact that, you know, he goes to a job with par four, puts it in the front bunker, skulls it over the green, makes bogey. 15, you miss the only place you can't miss on the entire hole. Dead right, uh, pin high, but way down the hill. It's a tough, tough chip into the grain. I mean, that was a pretty pathetic effort, to be fair. I mean, he chunked it about four yards in front of him. And then 16, the wedge shot from the middle fairway from about 85 yards, misses the green short. Um, and at that point, I just – I turn my TV off because I couldn't really bear to watch the rest. So uh, yeah, that was, that was really, really brutal. I mean, if there's, if there's a golf course that it feels a lead feels like as safe as it can, uh, or at least a big lead feels as safe as it can, like Kapalua should be it. It's super forgiving off the tee. You don't really have to, you got so much room to hit into. And then there's so many birdie chances that you feel like you're going to back into one or two down the stretch. But uh, for him, not only to not take advantage of those birdie holes, but to make bogey, uh, I mean, you, you think about it, I mean, 14, 15, 16, cumulatively probably played, you know, at least a quarter to three tenths of a stroke under par between the three of them for the week. I mean, guys were absolutely going off on those holes. I mean, those are, if you play DraftKings and you're looking for like the three 30 streaks, uh, 14, 15, 16 were, were your three holes. And um, if he makes par on those holes, he wins the golf tournament. But for him to make bogey is is a bit extra um, tilting. So, and correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but up to that point, he had played bogey-free golf, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. It, it was it was dreamland. I mean, I, I mean, I, I obviously bet Colin. We obviously bet Colin last week at twenty-five to one. I mean, I, in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have expected him to putt as well as he did for the first three and you know a quarter rounds. You know, like I said, he he missed a few, you know, make will putts down the stretch uh, even before we get to fourteen, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was all going perfectly. I mean, if you listen to, you know, shows that were airing on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I mean, he was all of a sudden, like if he would have closed that tournament out, all of a sudden we're talking about Colin Morikawa in the same light as a Rom, a Rory, a, you know, a Cantley. Right, you know, like he's all of a sudden, if this putter's fixed and he closes out a tournament full of, what, 16 of the 20 best players in the world, he's all of a sudden, you know, 14 to 16 to 1 to win major championships this year. It's just how it goes. And now uh, a three-hole stretch basically 
turns that narrative into all oh, this guy's like never going to win on tour again. Um, and I, I, to, to some point I, I kind of understand it just because like, I mean, it's now right better. It's, it's going to be really tough going forward to be like, Oh, I'm going to bet Colin Morikawa this weekend, 28 to one. It's obviously going to be number dependent, but I mean, the, the trust level is at an absolute zero right now down the stretch. You know, you almost would rather Colin be down by three or four shots going to the final round than holding the lead with what we've seen uh, both here at the hero, because I don't care how mentally strong you are and how much confidence you have in your game. Like that, that shakes you to your bone. And I mean, he, he admitted that um, in the post-round presser. So luckily he's going to have a couple weeks off. We're not going to see him again until Torrey Pines, which is not a course I would really have that much interest in betting him anyway. So I think we're going to have at least a month or so hands off. If he wins, then you know what? I'll be happy anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, unless we start getting, unless the narrative builds to a fever pitch and we start getting absurd numbers and it's just like a value at that point, like it's just blind value based on, you know, his ball striking acumen and his talent, then, you know, we can ask the question then. But as far as I'm concerned, I mean, if, if, he's priced anywhere near the 20 to 30 range. I mean, if you're betting a guy at 20, 25, 30 to one, um, you're asking him to be a bit of your quarterback. You know, most weeks we're starting our cards at, you know, 18 to 20 to one roundabout. So I think just based on the depth of talent we have in the game right now, there's going to be more appealing options as we kind of go forward. So that's, that's where I stand. Um, as of right now, obviously things can change. I hope he can figure out my sawgrass because me and Chris are, are obviously going to that tournament, so I would like to have the confidence to come on here and back my boy at a place that I've been on record saying he will win at at some point in his career. But um, yeah, I don't I don't feel like now's the time to really be <laughs> to really be pumping up his tires too too much because uh, yeah, that was that was about as brutal as it gets. Like if I'm sorry if if this is like if you just found the podcast or you decided to bet on golf starting in 2023, um, yeah, it, it's I've never I've never been. I've never experienced anything like that. Like we've, we've had some collapses. I mean, me and Chris would go through our war stories in the past couple of years, but uh, I mean, there was a point, I mean, he was walking off 13 green. He was probably about a 99.5% favorite to win that golf tournament. So um, welcome back to golf because it's truly not over until the, uh, until the final uh, putt is hold. Right. So um, yeah, that, that's about all. Uh, that's about all I got to say. Uh, you can, you can interject with your, personal stories on Sunday night. I, I mean, I, I was basically just, I needed like a Snuggie and a pint of ice cream personally, but uh, <laughs> you had maybe some, uh, some distractions that you could, you could use uh, again to distract yourself. Yeah. So unfortunately my experience was a little different because I watched like the first, I don't know, five, six holes maybe. Yeah. And it just seemed like, all right, well. He, dude, he poured the birdie on a one. Like, Scheffler yeah. made the bomb. And I'm like, oh, shit. Now we got to deal with Scheffler when he gets hot. Like, he can just make birdies like it's nothing. Colin gets up there, and he's got 20 people birdie on the first. He just rolls right in the center. I'm like, oh, well, this is just going to be fucking perfect. Yeah. And yeah. if he's going he's gonna to roll in from 20 feet all day long, like, we're just coasting. Yeah. Uh, you, <laughs> you picked the right <laughs> Well, yeah. so yeah, I watched that, right? So then I go and me, me and Chloe, we go get dinner and drinks with some friends. And um, I, you know, I think I make a comment to, you know, you know the reference here, but I'll make a comment to like Brett and Shinigo, like, have you seen who we're on this week? Like, you know, have you seen the, how the tournament's going? <laughs> and then like all of a sudden I pulled the PGA Tour app and I'm like, oh, like Rom's 
four shots back. Oh, Rom's three shots back. Yeah. And then we close out our bill. We get in the car. We're on the way home. I actually drove home, so I couldn't check it. And then we literally pull in the driveway, and I pull up my phone, and I see bogey, bogey, and I see Rom in the lead. And I was like, oh, no. Like, and then I just happened to pull up, obviously, our group chat, and, you know, and I was like, uh, I just, I don't even know. No. I don't I even know where been. to go right now. And then, yeah. I was yeah. on a ditch. I was not <laughs> I had my notifications off. I did not want to look at my phone. Just yeah, again, uh, flatlined. Me on the couch, just flatlined. So I did. I did actually go uh, since then and watch his interview after. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah. Um, Ian, he looks broken. Like he looks. I mean, like understandably so. But like, I'm just, I'm just worried about like, you know, betting aside, like. How long is it going to take him to get out of his headspace? Because it arguably took him twelve months to get out of the last one. You know, very true. Yeah, very true. Yep. So, and this one is is it's worse. It's on American soil, first of all. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're up against you know the top you know what twenty twenty five in the world, thirty in the world. Um, so yeah, it just like you said, it, it's it was like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in a matter of about two hours because. Yeah, you know, he was gonna be like he was gonna be like the pinnacle of the golf world to be in like the pinnacle of the golf news, but not in a good way. Yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be unfortunately, <laughs> unless I mean he's he's just gonna be asked about it all the time. You know, like anytime he's a contention, like that's going to be the story now. Which is, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's it's a mental game. It's something that he's gonna have to overcome. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of great players that have faltered in really tough situations. Um, and I, I echo that sentiment a lot. That's, I mean, I'm, that's my biggest fear is, you know, like we, we kind of got the best of Colin in the first couple of years, you know, where he was just running so pure, everything he kind of touched turned to gold. And now when you face that adversity and there's so many good young players coming up, I think it's pretty easily easy now to, get a little lost in the shuffle so but I, I trust obviously i trust his work ethic i know you know he's on he's still one of the you know at least five six seven best players on earth so um you just kind of have to confide in that skill set and i mean there's no way to prognosticate what he's really thinking inside um one thing i man one thing i would like to say is I wish he would I, I kind of wish he would be a more like a Rom in that way. Cause like I just don't see any like when things start to go wrong for Colin, something I've noticed is that he he's just so flatlined. Like he's so demure. And I would love to see some outward emotion. Just like just show some like fight out there. You know, it feels like once that lead kind of got cut to three and then uh Rom made the Rom made the Eagle on 15, so it got cut to one and you've still got a par five, a reachable par five that you made birdie on all four days. And it just, he, that look of defeat just really, really came on a bit quick for me. I would, I would love to just, I don't know if, if your JJ is caddy or if it has to come with, to, with, within, like if there's something he learns from this, just like, man, like go down swinging. Cause it really, I mean, it, I don't think he made a poor swing on 15, but like, you just have to know, like, you can't miss right. You can't miss right. I mean, I don't care if you miss it 30 yards long left. You've still got to pitch down the, down the hill. You're going to have inside 15 feet for birdie. And 
you know, I don't know if I'm asking – you can't really change how guys wired, but, you know, I would have loved to see just a bit of, like, a bit of positive body language. Like, we're still in this shit, you know? Like, even though we, we've lost a lot of equity for the last 30 minutes, yeah, you made you made a, a bogey, a bad bogey on 14, Rob makes goes birdie eagle. It happens, you know? But, like, show some of that, like – I, I would have loved to see just a little bit of, like, you know – walk with your chest up a little bit. Let's like, let's fucking go. Like we're still in this. Right. And it just felt like once the landslide started, man. And, and I know it's fucking hard to like, to deal with because he was in, he was on cruise control all day long. And when you hit that adversity, all of a sudden it comes really quick. Um, do you think though, like, so do you think it's actually, and I don't know, I'm basing this completely off of somebody else's thoughts, yeah. but Mark Immelman, on first cut, I don't know if you listened to it on Sunday night, but he mentions how at um, Kapalua there's not a lot of it's not a big crowd presence, so you don't really get the roars. Yeah, and there's there's only a few scoreboards. Yeah, posted with, on the property. Yeah, and the and the one that the one the first one that Colin would have seen to know like oh shit I'm on trouble is actually after the fifteenth green. Right. So do you think that really he just do you think he actually really, I mean, I'm sure someone probably told him, but like, do you think he really knew until after 15? Because yeah, from what, from what Mark Emmel was saying, was like, he probably, there was no way to really ignore it when you're, when he's walking up to do that, to make his putt on 15, because it's right there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you, you kind of think that he already kind well, of, well, he defeat beforehand. Yeah. Okay. He said as much in his post round. Well, he, well, he said, basically, he didn't know where he stood. You're right. He didn't know where he stood until he was over the par putt on 15. Okay. And that was to stay tied for the lead because Rahm had already eagled at that point. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point because, yeah, there's definitely a scenario where he just didn't really realize how close Rahm was. And then maybe, I mean, by that time, point, he already made the mistake anyway. So, but, yeah, I mean, if you're in that position, if you make – and. I, I think it – look, I, we're playing a very, very amateur armchair psychologist here, so, like, yeah, very yeah, well. Yeah. But, like, we saw it a little bit as well at the Hero where when things started to go bad, he started to force things, and that's what I didn't love about the swing on 15. Now, I don't know how he hit it. I don't know what he was going for, what his line was, but obviously he missed right of target. Um, but at, at the Hero, when he made the first double bogey, I think that played a lot into his decision – to go for the par five and two when he had the mud ball in the fairway, because he was trying to get it all back. Right. Like he, he just, he had that for lack of a better term, just sunk cost fallacy where he's like, all right, let's, we, we lost two on two holes ago. Like, let's get this ship right again. Let's make a birdie or an Eagle. Right. And he forces it. And then it ends up obviously in disaster. And I think we saw a little bit of the same thing. When you make a bad bogey on 14, you know, maybe some guys are nipping their heels. I mean, I, I heard the, the roar, the ROM roar for Eagle actually before the telecast. So like, it's not like nobody's there, right? Like there was a reaction obviously when ROM made the Eagle, like people started to realize, Oh shit, this is getting close. And so I think the, I don't think you make the swing on 15 unless it was just a bad swing, but it seemed like he was actually pretty happy with the contact when he first swung it. But I'm saying you don't, you don't make that kind of aggressive swing on 15. If you don't feel a bit of pressure mounting on you from behind, right? Because I think if you, if you're comfortable and you know that a four is more than good enough or a five is more than good enough, like you just miss left of that pin and, uh, and you know, you take your, again, 10, maybe 12 feet for, for birdie at, at, at worst. So again, these are things we'll never really know what, what was going on in his mind. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, time will tell because it, it certainly doesn't look great. And I think if you are betting this stuff week in, week out, and you want just a, if you just want some direction, uh, I think you should probably just err on the side of letting him win without you for one. You know, like I don't think this is one you really want to be chasing. Uh, despite how many good signs he showed over the course of the week, like I don't anticipate we're going to get much better than like 28, 30 to one at some of these bigger tour stops at Torrey and, and, uh, and Phoenix, uh, which is the next two starts. I, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable leaving up the card. And then if he shows some immediate growth and he shows that the putter and the game and the short game can hold up under immense pressure. Cause I mean, Obviously, Torrey has a lot of sentimental value to him being a SoCal kid. Tiger won there in 08. And then obviously, Phoenix is just a pressure cooker in general with the crowds. So, if he can get it done there, I think he can get it done in almost any situation. So, for me, again, time will tell. We'll, 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 uh, we'll hold court again here in two weeks for Torrey. But um, as it stands now, I'm perfectly comfortable letting, letting it go, letting him win potentially without me. And, uh, you know, Hopefully we can we can show and we can see enough signs and, and positive regression to to be on him in Florida. So that's that's all I got. Yeah, well, we spent twenty minutes talking about it. So yeah. <laughs> um, I do think I do think before we move on, though, we should like Rom deserves a little bit of praise here. Um, you know, for the second year in a row, Rom yeah. just like absolutely lit up this course, and this year he just happened to catch the guy in front of him, where last year he couldn't. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously he was the runner up in our, our preseason bracket. So um, that feels good. I mean, obviously he's the favorite, so it's not like it's, <laughs> it's not like it's shocking news, but good for Rom. Like, I do think that like bets aside and the fact that Kong collapse aside, like I, it's yeah. kind of cool. It's cool to see Rom be in victory lane again. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and he, he not only did he win, but he kind of won in spite of the negatives that we placed at his feet last week. Like if we were, if you go back to last week's episode, we were talking about potentially betting Rom at six and a half, seven to one. And I talked a lot about how his wedge game, I don't think was a proper fit for just the projected proximity ranges I had. Excuse me, at Kapalua, I liked him a lot better. Of course, that, that you know, is going to put a long iron in your hand a lot more often. And, you know, you're not going to be hitting as many short clubs where I think his advantage starts to wane in the ball striking category. Um, and, I mean, kind of to my point, he did lose strokes on approach, but he was dominant with the driver, great around the greens and great with the putter. And that's a really, really positive sign for Rom because as we've seen really as recently as this past fall, when that putter starts to work for Rom and he gets confidence with the flat stick, he becomes almost a lock to like just finish inside the top 10. Like his, his game is just so sound all the way through that um, there's not a lot holding him back. You know, he had his quote unquote struggles at the start of last year, but it seems like he's completely over that. And uh, I would assume actually he's playing next week, the Amex strangely considering like he had so much negative, so many negative things to say about that course last year, but he's back there playing again. I won't be on him that week. I'm actually kind of hoping he plays like shit at the Amex so I can get him at Torrey Pines uh, because yeah, if that putter is working anywhere near where it was working this week uh, and, and, and it has been for the last few months, I think he could win Torrey Pines by like four or five shots um, just based on kind of, I mean, that's not a hot take. If you fall cough, like, you know, John yeah. Torrey Pines is never really a bad, it's like his playground, uh, a bad man. Yeah. Bad. Exactly. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, 
another top upper echelon player that's playing at an elite level right now. We're I don't know when's the next time we're gonna when's the next the first time we're gonna see Roy versus Rom because Roy's kind of I mean not ducked Rom but he's not been in the field for the hero or Kapalua. Um, so I I think at some point this year we're gonna see a Roy Rom duel and that's gonna be I think a lot of fun because as it stands. I could tell you who I could pretty easily tell you who the top two players in the world are. I think it becomes kind of muddy after maybe three. Um, although I would I would say Scheffler, but you know I think the argument can certainly be made for a couple other guys. But I think it's pretty clear to people that are watching like one versus two. Um, it's going to happen. Uh, it's pretty inevitable. I feel like so. Hopefully, we get into Phoenix. Phoenix would be a lot of fun. Obviously, Rom has a lot of support there going to ASU and Roy supported well everywhere. And it's you know featured. I mean, Phoenix is just electric no matter what. Um, and I'm. I think the in the Super Bowl in Phoenix this year in Arizona. I have no idea. I think no. it is. It's either this year or next year in, in Arizona. Um, so obviously we're gonna have the waistband and the Super Bowl on the same Sunday, and I'm almost positive it's this year. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, Glendale, Arizona. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, projecting forward. I mean, for golf, I'm. I mean, this is gonna be a phenomenal season, 2023. Hopefully, we can run a little bit better than we did in, in week one. So, um, but there, the, one last thing, I guess it's, you know, it's very, I think as gamblers, like it's, it's very easy to like go back and, and think about obviously you know, the worst beat you ever had, you know, like this first 30 minutes of the podcast has been like, again, war stories for me and Chris and just uh, our past trauma betting on golf. But, you know, like water does find its level and we did get, you know, quite fortunate. I mean, this is, I, I was thinking actually in the middle of the collapse, in the middle of Colin collapse, I'm like, now this is must, this must be how Rory, Rory fans felt whenever Cam Smith was making every single putt down the stretch at, at the open, right? And this is, you know, and, and Spenson made two birdies down the stretch at RSM, right? And, you know, Tom Kim was bogey free for 72 holes at, at the Shriners, right? So it's, it's obviously easy to ignore when you got lucky. You always want to attribute that to like, you know, oh, I'm just like the god of all handicapping, but. <laughs> Luck plays a factor if you win or lose. Um, but I think we can take Stolas and the fact that we've repeatedly gotten guys in the mix on Sunday. And honestly, um, good breaks, bad breaks aside, if I've got a guy within a few shots to lead on Sunday, I feel like I've done my job pretty well. And we just kind of let the chips fall where they may. So a little bit of, uh, yeah, a little bit of rationale as we, as we recover from, uh, from a pretty <laughs> experience there, but I'm, I'm excited to go back in the Sony. Um, you know, I've had now between this podcast and Byron's podcast about an hour now of just uh, waxing poetic about Colin Morikawa <laughs> on air. So I think I've, I'm finally starting to get cured of the Stockholm syndrome here, and we're we're ready to to turn a new page here at Wiley. Yeah, so that's a good way to uh, to transition here as we are staying on the. Uh, in the state of Hawaii, but on a different island as we head to Honolulu. And as you mentioned, we'll be playing at YLI Country Club. So, um, yeah, let's hear what you got in store for your club, for your uh, course breakdown, and then we'll, we'll hit the odds board. Yeah, let's do it. So, Sony Open, week two of, I think, <clears throat> 44, if you talk about calendar year on the PGA Tour season, but the second straight event in the Aloha Swing in Hawaii. Sony Open played at YLI Country Club um, on the island of Oahu. Uh, in, in Honolulu, Hawaii, just over 7,000 yards on the scorecard, par 70. And I was kind of talking about this on Byron's podcast, gave a special shout out to the NASCAR community um, because a lot of our NASCAR analysis on a week-to-week basis is based on, you know, track comps, right? Like if you are, if we're betting 
Daytona we're looking at, not just Daytona results, but Talladega results, maybe a little bit of Atlanta in there as well. Like tracks fit, uh, tracks fit a specific mold in NASCAR, whether it's an intermediates, whether it's a short track, a road course, a super speedway. Chris obviously goes very, very far or more in depth um, on you know different track comparables. But it's not often that I get to kind of copy a little bit of his uh, of his homework there on the PGA Tour. But wildlife, it's a very specific mold. We've talked about this a little bit, especially in the fall swing at places like Mayakoba, at places like um, Sea Island where the RSM Classic is held. Wildlife, it's a very specific mold on tour. Short, positional, Bermuda grass, par 70. A lot of them in the southeast. Uh, you talk about a place like Sedgefield where the Wyndham's held, Harbor Town excuse me, where the RBC Heritage is held, uh, Colonial, PGA National, Sea Islands. Um, we see a lot of crossover on leaderboard. That's that's a very important metric for me this week. Like, I don't think the skill sets required to have success at a lot of these golf courses are all that dissimilar. It's a lot of places where you can club down if need be to hit the fairway. You've got to be in the right side of the fairway. It's a very kind of old school design. A lot of these places have been going, or we've been, have been PGA Tour stops for quite some time. And they play like, you know, old school golf courses. Hit to the corner of the dog leg, rely on your iron play, hopefully catch a hot putter, and you'll be right there this week. Small greens, tight fairways. Um, and one of the, you know, we talk a lot about bombers on this golf on this uh, on this golf show um, with a lot of the bigger events on tour, your Bay Hills, your Torrey Pines, uh, your Mirfield Villages. Like that's, that's the bombers paradises that we talk about a lot, a lot of the major courses. Um, we emphasize driving distance. At a place like Wileye, it's one for you know the plotters. It's one for a play for a guy that doesn't need to hit it three thirty off the tee. He can kind of, again, uh, point and shoot his way around the golf course, and again, um, not have to be constricted by his lack of distance uh, in order to have success here. So, yeah, comp course history is something that I'll be referencing quite a bit this week. As far as the actual course setup, uh, four par threes here um, at Wileye all range from one seventy six to two hundred four. Um, they all play within a tenth of a shot to relative to par, so nothing really to speak of there. But me and Byron have been kind of going back and forth, and we talked about last night about our hold one props that we're chasing a little bit. So if you are interested in just throwing a degenerate five dollars down um, for guys to make a hole one in one this week, um, I would look definitely at proximity from one seventy five to two hundred because it seems like they all play about the same distance. So hypothetically, the guy that hits the six iron or the seven iron the best from 190 is going to have, you would think, the best chance to get it close and potentially make a hole-in-one. Uh, the par, the two par fives of this golf course, with it being a par 70, only two par fives, they're the most extremely reachable, easily reachable in two by even the shortest hitters. Uh, they each play over a half a stroke o- uh, under par, I'm sorry, at a 4.44 and a 4.40 stroke average. Uh, number nine in particular has a birdie or better percentage of 65%. 18 has a birdie or better percentage of 52%. So, Again, with each of these holes playing so easy for the entire field, I actually, this is one of the golf courses where I don't wait par five scoring all that much because I really feel like anybody can score well in these par fives. So uh, success this week for me in the scoring categories is going to be much more to do with the 12 par fours on this golf course. And I will say to, with Wildlife, there's not there's a lot more variation, I feel like, than there was last week in Kapalua. Now, I talked about Kapalua last week being um, – as far as yardages go, pretty diverse in terms of they had a few long par fours of 500 or plus yards and a lot of short little 420 yard par fours. But when it comes down to the actual playing distance with a lot of the longer holes being downhill, downwind, a lot of the shorter holes being uphill, upwind, it ends up being more of a short iron 
wedge fest than your traditional 7,600 yard uh, golf course would be. So here at uh, the Sony, you have a job of par four at uh, the par four tenth. I think it plays like 330, 340. Some guys can reach. Most guys will let the, just a little pitch shot from the green. Um, has over a 30% birdie rate. So that's a pretty easy hole there to start your round if you're starting on 10. Um, and then kind of the rest of the par fours here are pretty bog standard. They range from about 405 to 480. Um, and so you'll kind of have a, again, a few holes where you might have to hit driver, but plenty of holes as well. And, uh, Justin Thomas alluded to this when he won the championship in 2017, hit a lot of two irons off the tee, um, again, just to keep that ball in play. So just because the guy is inaccurate normally off the tee, like just because the guy struggles with accuracy in a place like Mirfield village off the tee, I wouldn't necessarily discount him here. Uh, just because again, you can club down and if you hit it, a long enough distance that most guys do like a three wood or a fairway fairway metal or um, a two iron even will be enough to kind of keep these guys in position. And we've seen some inaccurate drivers through the years actually have success around wildlife just because you do have options off the tee to, to keep it in the fairway. If, um, if you so choose. So talking about the past champions here last year, Hideki Matsuyama uh, beat Russell Henley in the playoff at 25 under par uh, pretty famous collapse from Russell there. Uh, Kevin Na at minus 21, excuse me, won it in 2021. Cam Smith, the year before that, won at minus 11. Matt Kuchar uh, at minus 22. Patton Gazire, minus 17. And Justin Thomas uh, completed his Hawaii double in 2017. He finished at minus 27 here at Sony. I think that's the tournament record. Uh, shot 59 here on day one as well. So, again, as a group, uh, not the best overall drivers of the golf ball, but they can all get hot on approach. And, uh, you know, you, you look at guys like Cam Smith, Kuchar, Kevin Na, um, phenomenal putters to the golf ball as well, which when you're talking about a 7,000 yard golf course, you're going to have a lot of 15, 20 footers for, for birdie a lot of the time. So obviously that's going to be advantageous if you uh, can start rolling putts in from there. Uh, we talked to, again, a little bit about off the tee. It's not a specifically, um, it's not a really a heavily weighted metric for me this week. I, I tend to look at kind of comp course history when it comes to off the tee guys that have driven the ball well at a place like Harbor Town or Mayakoba or Sea Island, I think means more to me than just regular strokes getting off the tee or regular fairways gain because it shows an element of strategy um, in their games and their ability to adjust to these kind of old school golf courses. Um, iron play, as you would expect, is incredibly important this week, uh, particularly from 125 to 200 yards. Almost 70% of approaches will come from that range. So you're looking from like gap wedge to like seven or six iron. Um, so again, a pretty diverse range, but if you are waiting proximity this week, I would recommend, yeah, 125 uh, to 200. Uh, huge correlator here, it should be noted, with Mayakoba, um, where Kazire and Kuchar both won events, um, won both events in the space of two months. So they both basically completed the double there. Um, Kuchar did it in 2018, 2019. Kazire did it in 2017, 2018. So, um, you know, if you see a lot of Russell Henley tickets um, this week, that would probably be a – uh, pretty big reason why, considering he just won at Mayakoba, obviously came second here last year. So um, it's pretty clear, um, even though Henley didn't complete the double over the space of 2022, obviously came as close as you possibly can uh, to doing exactly what Kazai and Kuchar did. So uh, more kind of trend stats here as well. Five of the last six champions have come off of a appearance at the TOC the week prior. Uh, Cam Smith was the only exception there. Um, and you don't necessarily have to finish great at Kapalua. You know, Kevin Na finished 38th the year he won. Uh, Kutra finished 19th. Uh, Kazire finished 15th. Hideki, I don't think, finished all that well. I think he finished round about 15th out of 40 players. So it's not necessarily an indicator 
um, like your past performance at Kapalua isn't necessarily an indicator of success at Sony, but just having those competitive rounds under your belt and then being familiar um, with some of the trade runs that blow off the ocean um, have helped a lot of guys in, in the past. So uh, with that being said, let's kind of go in and get to the model. Again, my key stats, I have a separate metal model already made for, uh, like I said, comp course history where I, where I basically have the last three years worth of colonial Mayakoba, Harbor town, Pebble beach, sea islands, Sedgefield and Wiley all loaded in um, where guys will have anywhere from 16 to 45 rounds. Um, and we'll kind of break down their performances at contracts going, um, going through again, the last three years, but in terms of just pure statistics, um, I have strokes can approach obviously as my biggest metric, 25% there. Uh, birdie chances created at 15% strokes gain putting particularly on fast Bermuda greens. I talked about last week, Kapalua being a bit on the slower side. While I tends to lean more into your traditional like Southeastern golf course, think like a Florida Bermuda grainier, faster, slicker uh, Bermuda course. If you're looking at punting splits, that's what I would recommend. Birdies are better gains. Um, like I mentioned, what for the last six winners have won at 21 under par or better. Uh, Cause I won at 17. The only kind of down year was Cam Smith who won at 11 under. And coincidentally, I think that was the same year JT won at what 14 under at Kapalua. So there must've been just exceedingly windy couple weeks there in Hawaii. Uh, but if the winds don't kick up very, very um, likely this winning score ends up in the mid twenties. Um, again, the proximities from 125 to 200 are, are very uh, highly rated as well. And then I have a little bit of strokes get off the tee, but mostly fairways gained, good drives gained, and um, off the tee correlatives on <clears throat> shorter golf courses. So from 7,200 yards um, and less. So the model that it spit out over the last, uh, <clears throat> since basically since April 1st, last 50 rounds, uh, Tom Kim is number one in my model. He should be number one in most everybody's model this week. Sung JM, number two. Tom Hoagie, number three. Brian Harmon, four. Keegan Bradley, five. Emiliano Grio, six. Corey Connor seven, Cam Davis eight, Russell Henley nine, and Kurt Kitayama rounds out the top ten um, of that model. But uh, yeah, man, that's all I got to say about Wiley. Again, I think it's not an overly difficult course to break down. Uh, if, if guys have had success on comp tracks and they fit your general mold of you know accurate drivers, good iron players, good putters, uh, you could kind of get on board with with a lot of different names this week. So we'll talk through as many as we can. So obviously you talked about the the course comps, um, and then there's the the narrative that's going around, you know, Twitter and all, all the podcasts this week of you know eight of the last twelve winners here played the week before at the Tournament of Champions. Um, so I don't know if 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 you debunk that theory or not, or if that kind of checks out with kind of the course comps. If if some of the same winners are guys that also won at those other comp courses as well. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll say, I, I'll say like, even though they're both on Hawaii, I mean, Kapalua and Wailai are drastically right. different golf courses to me, um, particularly off the tee and a little bit on the greens. Um, in terms of, yeah, past winners, I mean, Kevin Na, I mean, he's won at Colonial before. Um, yeah, I, I guess we can kind of break down the winners, but I would just say, I put a lot more stock into how players performed at like a Harbor town or even like an RSM or a Mayakoba this past fall than I would like if he Last finished week. dead last at, at Kapalua, I really don't care that much. It's really more of a bonus. Um, not only if the guys played, um, but if he's performed well um, lastly, because really, I mean, to be honest, the Sony open 
we'll get into the odds board a little bit, but it's not exactly the most prestigious event on the PJ Tour. We uh, our highest ranked golfer in the field is probably Tom Kim at like 15, but no one inside the top 10 to my knowledge. So um, if you've the point is if you made the tournament champions and you're one of the 40 players that got the invitation uh, to get that guaranteed payday Kapalua, you're probably also one of the best players in this field. So that would I think answer a lot of the reasoning why um, players that played at Kapalua the past week um, have tended to have success at, at the the following week here at Wildlife just because they tend to be the better players in the field uh, if they were able to get that kind of um, exclusive invitation. All right. So with that being said, we'll work our way over to the odds board. Um, so uh, the first time in his young career, Tom yep. Kim is the betting favorite on the PGA Tour. Um, listed at 10 to 1, I think started out, I think most listed at probably like 11 or 12 to 1. He's already been bet um, down to 10. Um, we'll group him together with Sung Jay and Jordan because Jordan actually looks really impressive this past weekend, maybe up until Sunday. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, what are your kind of thoughts on these top three guys on the board? And why are we not playing a single bullet on Tom Kim? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So, I guess the cat's out of the bag. We, if you follow us on Twitter, <clears throat> you know we post our card typically on Tuesday before lunchtime. So, um, as of right now, I don't have a bet under 40 to 1. So, this will, again, be another um, soundboard. Chris will be my second soundboard in two nights uh, to kind of talk me through a lot of these decisions that I'm going to have to make at the top. Um, but I started my card at 40, so I have not bet any of these favorites. Um, not saying I don't like them. I just kind of haven't quite found the number yet. Um, to your point, look, Tom Kim at 12-1 to 1 is a very popular bet. It's not very often that Twitter latches on to a consensus favorite on the betting board. Uh, we typically like to be, you know, a little bit contradictory or contrarian and bet the sleeper at 25-1. to 1. Um, But, yeah, it, it – if you've heard a bear case on Tom Kim this week, I would love to hear it because I can't for the life of me think of one. I've been on record on this show saying he's the best golfer in the world at a golf course under 7,000 yards. Um, I anticipate him. I mean, if he wants to play Harbor town, you know, you just go through the concourse we've been talking about Con Harbor town, colonial PGA national, Mayakoba Sedgefield, like he's already won at Sedgefield in his first start. Um, so he's one for one as far as comp courses going and, and winning on <laughs> on these type of tracks. So uh, it's just, it's got the potential to definitely be just a clinic uh, from Tom Kim because with how accurate he is off the tee, he's the best iron player in this field by quite a large margin, um, just in regular strokes getting approach. And we've seen him obviously, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't carry the same deficiencies that you typically get with your prolific ball strikers. You know, guys we'll talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 20 to one range that possess a lot of the same strengths and attributes that Tom Kim does. Um, Tom Kim's basically, you know, Russell Henley, but with a more reliable putter and a guy that's actually closed out golf tournaments, um, on the PJ tour, you know, two and six months, it isn't too bad by, uh, by my count. So, um, yeah, I think he's a phenomenal course fit. I was kind of hoping for like a 14, 16 to one, but I, that was again, kind of wishful thinking. I think 12 is the right number. I don't really blame anybody if they want to go. Uh, to Tom Kim at 12 to 1. I think he should be the favorite here. And um, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad bet because it's not. Uh, he's he's the best player in this field by my by my numbers and just by the eye test as well. When you think about Sung Jay at 14, another guy that, you know, 
typically plays these shorter positional golf courses quite well in the southeast, particularly on Bermuda. Another guy that doesn't really have much weakness from Tita Green, uh, 11th in this field, and still can approach. He's actually the best driver of the golf ball over the last six months in this field as well. Um, and then top 30 in putting, and even better, actually, on Bermuda grass. Um, green complexes as well. So, for me, I, I feel like I'm not going to be betting Sungjae a lot in 2023 just because Tom Kim will likely be around him on the odds board um, in events they play together. And frankly, I think Tom is just a bit more reliable than Sungjae. I trust Tom um, to just be more consistent over four days. The thing I kind of worry about with Sungjae is just the fact that he's got the potential to to get crazy hot and shoot a 62, 63, but he doesn't carry the same kind of baseline. I feel like on a, on a day-to-day basis as Tom Kim. So the trust factor for me is just not quite there um, at 14 to one. I think I would just rather take my personal favorite of the two Koreans and, and take Tom at 12. Um, but I, I could definitely see the argument for Sungjae because statistically they're not all that dissimilar. Um, and you're getting, you know, a three point discount, a four point discount on a, uh, on a guy that's, you know, won at a quarterly course at PGA National. Um, he's had positive results at places like Harbor Town and places like TBC Sawgrass. So he's, again, he's the second favorite for the reason for a reason. But if you're asking me to uh, to pick one, it's it's going to be Tom there at, at 10. And then Jordan at, at 16, I think, yeah, that's pretty much like a consensus number that I'm seeing across my books. With, with Jordan, it's kind of the Sunday complex, but even kind of worse, where he's just Jekyll and Hyde. It, it feels like Jordan, nothing would surprise me at this point. Like, he could win this tournament by five shots, or he could miss the cut. Um, and I'm just not seeing the, the day-in, day-out consistency from him quite enough yet. And he hasn't – I mean, he, again, missed some really makeable parts, putts down the stretch um, at Kapalua. So, the putter doesn't seem like it's fixed. I don't trust him T to green near as much as the two guys kind of in front of him on the, on the odds board. So, um yeah i would i would i would rank them exactly how the odds board um has them i think i'll go tom sungjay jordan and i'm and 16 is not good enough of a discount for me to to pick jordan over two guys that i objectively like more so yeah tom sungjay jordan for me and then um yeah we'll move on to the 20s because i think a lot of these guys again like (laughs) i don't know how much you followed on twitter but it's a lot of chalk from what i've seen so far a lot of cards are kind of centralizing around this 12 to 30 to one range. And um, I haven't made a concrete decision yet, but there's definitely a reason I've left, you know, a fair few uh, units on the, on the table here for um, as we kind of go into the tournament. Right. So. All right. So the next range we've got defending champ Hideki Matsuyama at 18 to one. Uh, Brian Harmon is also listed there at 18 to one. Corey Connors at 20 to one. Um, Russell Henley at twenty to one, and we'll we'll want Tom Hungy in here too at 20, 22 to one. Yeah. Um, personally, personally, the Tom the Tom number is the one that's really striking me right now. Who Hoagie? You yeah. like Hoagie? Little little revenge, little revenge after sorry <laughs> after his uh, team got his ass beat last last night. Oh well, yeah, that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I want to see some. I want to see some pictures of Tom. Is, it, is there a, is there a Hoagie Harmon uh, matchup head to head matchup out oh, there? That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, yeah, because Lord knows I'm not betting Brian Harmon outright at 18 to 1 or 16 to 1, whatever he is at now. I mean, I think Harmon is a bit of a trap. Har- Harmon's basically, I mean, I know people people that I respect that have him at 30, 35, even 40 to 1. I know points bet hung at 40 to 1 early on uh, on Monday morning, and obviously at 40 to 1, that's phenomenal closing line value. 
18, obviously, I don't have to really go too much into detail, but I think Carmen is his outright number is kind of falling victim to the fact that I think he's a pretty popular top five, top 10, top 20 bet. I think he's a super safe pick. If you're talking about like DFS cash or one and done, you want to secure like a top 10, top 20 finish. So I think Harmon is about as good a bet as any. Um, but to my knowledge, he hasn't won a single event in how long? I mean, I think his last win came in like 2016, 2017. Yeah, 2017 at, at Wells Fargo at Eagle Point. So I think he – look, but he's, he yeah. has a second at my COVID, a second RSM. Correct. In the last four months. Correct. Correct. No, I, I, I get that. He, he also <laughs> lost my co by about five or six. Like he was never in yeah. that golf tournament and it was kind of a late charger at the RSM. Well, Brian Harmon, he's just never really a guy that drives me outright. Um, and obviously if he's 18 to one, like it's, it's a complete no go. So again, I, I think play him on your prop card. If you got a good number on him early in the week, then obviously I endorse that, but yeah, never even a second thought at 18 to one. Uh, Hideki's a bit of a tough one, still a little bit of trust issues there, considering he hasn't really been the Hideki of old since all the injury stuff really propped up. He finished, I think, T16 last week at Kapaloa, but lost in both ball striking metrics and really kind of only made as high of a finish as he did because of his flat stick <clears throat> in his short game. And if you're relying on Hideki to put his way to a win, uh, I think it's a pretty losing cause uh, for, for a lot of uh, the week. So despite the fact he's the defending champion, um, yeah, I, I will not be in on, on Hideki at 18 to one. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is, this, these are famous last words, but I'm much more interested in, in the threesome that you outlined there. The, at the, in the early twenties, Henley Connors, Hoagie, you just basically take my Tom Kim argument and you just subtract the putting upside and you get these three guys, um, Henley Harmon, or no, I'm sorry, Henley Hoagie Connors, all phenomenal ball strikers. I trust all of them uh, from the middle of fairway from 165 yards. And I think they'll find themselves in that position quite often this week. It's really just a matter of if the flat stick can get remotely warm. Um, I think all three of them played. Let me see. I know. Yeah. Henley, Hoagie and Connors. Yeah. They all played last week. So they kind of fit that narrative as well. Didn't play great, but I mean, well, Hoagie actually played quite well. He led the field on approach. Um, so that's kind of my main reason. last contention point, basically. Right. Well, yeah, that's kind of my main reason for not clicking the button here in the twenties, just because I don't see that much separation between the three of them. Like, there's, there's really like, if you asked me to like rank them, I really wouldn't have like a compelling ranking. I would probably go Henley first, just because of the course history, um, and then Connors, then Hoagie. But it's very, very thin uh between the three of them so my logic was if i don't really have a a particular uh too much conviction between the three of them i might i'm just rather wait um and potentially get a live number kind of just let things unfold as they may i don't think i'm missing too much like not betting them at 20 or 22 to 1 um i think they're that's a pretty short number as it is just in terms of market value so um i like all three of them i think they'll all three be quite popular this week on DraftKings or on betting cards um, but I mean, if you made me, yeah, cause this is kind of the end of the early 20 range. Like uh, they've all kind of fallen down. Um, there were points in the week where you get Hoagie at 28. There were points in the week where you get Corey Connors at 25 and Henley at 25. That's kind of, as bets have started to pour and that's kind of, uh, disappeared from the market a little bit. So, um, 
if you made me choose, like if for those of y'all that don't have live ads accessible to you, if you just made me choose one bet, um, it would really be between, I would say, Connors Henley, the pair of them, or uh, Tom Kim. Uh, and you can kind of choose your own adventure in that regard. Gun to my head, I'd probably just bet Tom at 12-1 to and, and kind of call it a week. But um, just, you know, I talked about it a little bit on Byron's show. Like, you don't really have to – if you know, if you have live ads accessible to you and you have the time to track these things, uh, you don't really have to make your decision on Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday morning, if um, if you don't see anything particularly compelling. And and I don't, I don't really – even though I like a lot of the guys in this range, I don't really see a, a number that, that has really – um compelled to, to make a make a click to this point so that's why we're starting at, at 40 to 1 and in our next range here in the middle yep so speak of the devil we'll, we'll head down here to the mid the mid 30s i'm gonna skip over horschel because i think there are rumors of him withdrawing anyways um oh. so cam davis at 33 uh cage lee at 33 taylor montgomery at 33 keegan bradley at 35 and then at, after this uh we'll hop around a little bit i'll throw some names at you and then we'll hop around the names that you did bet but we do have a bet in this range, um, so I'll let you uh, reveal who that is. Right on. I just realized. Okay, yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, so you're talking about uh, Cameron <clears throat> Cage, Lee, Montgomery, and Keegan, correct? Yep. Okay, so I have bet Cameron Davis at 40-1. to 1. Uh, He's 33-1 to 1 on this particular odds board of Nevada we're looking at now. I still think you can find a 40 if you looked around. Let me see real quick just so I'm not steering you all wrong. Uh, but the best price on Cameron Davis ICO is 35 to one on Borgata and at DraftKings. So, um, yeah, I guess the forties have kind of disappeared from the market, but that was actually the first move I made on Monday morning. So just maybe another reason to have notifications on for flag hunting, just because, um, I'm going to start kind of maybe posting my card a little bit as it formulates or as it materializes, um, just so y'all can kind of have the numbers that I have and I can obviously be transparent with y'all where I get my numbers at. So, y'all can make the same moves and not be forced to, to kind of scramble whenever the full card comes out on Tuesday. Um, but Cameron Davis, 40 to one, again, one of the more, you know, ascended talents on the PG tour. I think we all, <clears throat> if you're talking about like season long drafts that a lot of guys are doing nowadays, or you're just talking about the grand scheme of the next generation in uh, on the PJ tour, this is one of your kind of premier post type sleepers, I would say. Um, you know, he's a really big hitter off the tee, but he's fared actually surprisingly well on these short positional tracks in his young career. Uh, finished one shot of a playoff last year at the RBC Heritage. Uh, finished seventh at Colonial, eighth at the John Deere Classic, where he had his best ball striking outing in the season. Uh, he's made his last three cuts here at Wildline, and then he finishes of ninth, 27th, and 31st. Uh, he comes into this year's iteration on the back of a really impressive T13 uh, at the CJ Cup loaded field there at Congaree, and he finished T7 um, in the offseason at the Australian PGA Championship, won by world number three Cam Smith. So, Although guys like, again, Hoagie, Harmon, and Henley are more of maybe obvious fits, like they're very much round peg and round hole. Um, a guy like Cameron Davis, who, again, possesses that power game, you wouldn't really think of him at a place like Wiley. Um, But uh, I couldn't really ignore this kind of talent in the 40-to-1 range, in addition to, again, um, just the overall body work he's, he's put forward on, on these kind of comparative tracks uh again fifth in strokes gains total on comp courses within the last three years he's fourth off the tee so he can he fits that metric of really being able to um rise to the occasion or at least adapt uh to these shorter golf courses and be a bit more creative when he has options off the tee uh third and birdie chances created over the last six months second and birdies are better gained 
and then top 20 in my window proximity range from 125 to 200. So the numbers pointed to him. He was in my circle just kind of on Friday night when the field just came out, and I was pretty happy to get a 40-1 to 1 there on Monday morning. So Cam Davis, as of now, is the captain of the card. Uh, we want to talk about the rest of the range here. I mean, Keegan, <laughs> I mean, is it, it, very much kind of the same – as, as a guy like Corey Connors or Hanley or Hoagie, um, I would actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Keegan, not a bad alternative. If you're looking to maybe buy low on that same kind of profile of fairways, irons, suspect putter, um, I've got a guy a little bit farther down the board that I think fits that profile just as well. Um, but I have seen Keegan on a fair few cards that I respect and, uh, you know, obviously got over the hump this past year at the Zozo and, played last week at the um at the tournament champion so i think he he fits a, a fair few trends um around here at, at sony i expect him to have a solid week um kh and montgomery i mean montgomery at 33 is just never really a bet i'm particularly interested in making until he proves to me that um he can be consistent with the irons uh, i just don't think his particular skill set of bombing it off the tee and rolling in a million putts is particularly sustainable uh particularly at a place like this so um, yeah, I think Montgomery, he could very well continue a streak of just T15 in every tournament, but 33 to one of the outright board is a little bit too much of a stretch for me. And then KH Lee shout out to our boy, Eric in the group chat, because he's obviously a big cage fan. We were on him at the Byron Nelson. Um, when he, when he got his debut in Eric had him the last time he, he won the Byron Nelson as well with KH man. It, it's tough because he's, he's playing quite well and he's, he's, does seem like he's he's kind of growing before our very eyes. He's getting into the mix a lot more often. Uh, top 30 iron player in this field, top 25 putter, um, top 20 and two of the three proximity ranges I look at. So I kind of see why the steam has built. I, I don't know. I just think there's maybe a few more guys in this range that I'm more comfortable with on a week-to-week basis. I just, for whatever reason, I can't really see it uh with KH um I think he I, he might just have to kind of win without me because he's gonna have to I think prove to me that he can win at a place of the Byron Nelson or at least contend before I'm I'm really um ready to to start clicking his name at 33 to 1 there's just so many talented golfers up and down this board that he kind of gets left in the uh and the dust for me so no strong opinions on KH but 33 to 1 I that's kind of the problem I, I need to have some conviction if I'm gonna click your name this this far up the odds board so um, kind of a victim of the number and maybe a little bit of ignorance on my part, just not really seeing the full picture with him. So um, pulling for KH, I like, I obviously like him. We cashed a big ticket with him in, in uh, Dallas for his first win, but he will more than likely have to get win number two or win number three, I'm sorry, without us. Um, because again, I, I just don't see him having like a super like defined skill set. Like he doesn't really have a, like an, overlaying strength to me to where I can really just latch on to him on a specific track. Um, it just kind of feels like when he gets hot, um, he just makes a ton of birdies in like one day and then you don't, then maybe that's enough to, to hopefully carry him to a win. So um, yeah, that's what I got to say on KH and, and the best that range, but Cameron Davis by far uh, my favorite in the thirties. All right. So I'm going to start hopping around now and we'll kind of get some bets along the way. Yep. Um, two bets before we get to the next one in our kind of range here. JT Poston and JJ Spawn. JJ Spawn looked really good last week. Yeah, it did. Um, I do, I do uh, not see much else to look at his profile, but if you just 
kind of look at the recent, if you take the recency bias and look at how he played last week, um, you know, it wasn't flashing the bottom or do you think he can actually carry over some success from last week to this week? Yeah, JJ, we talked about actually Byron has him as an outright. So we talked about him pretty in depth on last night's show. He's actually quite similar to KH. It feels like a guy that is growing before our very eyes. He's starting to pop up on leaderboards a lot more frequently than we saw, you know, even this time last year. If he feels like he's really ascending. He's, you know, in his, his early 30s now, kind of coming into his own on the PGA Tour. He's got the win from last year. He's now comfortable. He knows he belongs here. He's got his card locked up. Half Filipino, so he'll always have a place in my heart. But in terms of betting him outright at 45, 50 to 1, it's, again, a lot of the same things I have for KH. Like, I just don't really have a great feel on what he does better than kind of his peers on the odds board. I know, you know, he drives the ball quite straight. He's a semi-decent iron player, nothing prolific. Um, and he's not a bad putter. Not a, I mean, he's got a pretty suspect short game. But, you know, he, he does a lot of things you would like here. He just doesn't do them quite well enough for me to, like, really get latch onto him. I think, actually, him and KH are – quite good top 20 bets um not just this week but it feels like their games just translate well enough uh irrespective of the course they're playing to where i think they'll cash more than enough of those props to make it worth your while if you're looking to take a macro stand on a couple guys that i think again are, are kind of rising within the game of golf within this middle tier in the game of golf um wouldn't surprise me at all to see jj carry forward um his t10 i think he he kind of collapsed a little bit on sunday if i recall correctly uh, well, finished T5. So actually, uh, with Collins collapse, it was only five shots off the lead uh, when all was, when the dust settled there at Kapaloa. But um, again, it's it's probably just going to take a, either a bigger body of work or just a win to really turn my my sentiment on both him him and KH. Um, and then JT Poston, actually not a bad call at all. I, I do like JT a lot. You talk about his win last year at the John Deere Classic. Uh, another kind of short wedge intensive golf course. You got to make a lot of putts, obviously in the Midwest compared to the Southeast, but he's a North Carolina kid, went to Angry High, went to Western Carolina. So he should be very familiar with the grass. For me, it, it's, it's kind of, again, one of those things where he runs pretty hot and cold and he's in the middle of a little bit of a cold stretch with the ball striking right now. So it, it feels like to me, his two outcomes are, Basically, if the putter just gets stupid hot, he can contend. But unless he's gaining like 10 strokes with the putter, it feels like, you know, his ceiling is a little bit capped uh, just with the ball striking numbers that I've seen of him recently. So um, that's my personal credence. I, I would rather um, take the ball striker and hope that the, he catches a bit of a hot putter uh, for a week rather than kind of hope a guy just plays super win over his head uh, from a ball striking perspective. So, um Kind of speaking of that, uh, I've got my second bet of the week. Siwoo Kim, 45 to 1. Now, he's actually 50 to 1 on Bovada, which obviously I would endorse. Uh, but I was a little bit impatient. Got the 45 to 1 this morning. Super happy with it. Um, he's another kind of short course maven coming off a really impressive ball striking week in his last start. Uh, Siwoo lapped the Houston Open field on approach last November with a robbing 8.8 strokes game with his irons. Um, he's 27 years old and feels like Siwoo's been around for ages. Remember, he won Sawgrass as a 21-year-old, I'm pretty sure, back in 2016. Um, so he's a few years older than his countrymen at the top of the betting board. But at this point in time, he's the most accomplished Korean in this field, uh, particularly on these type of golf courses. We're talking about a winner at Sedgefield, a winner at Sawgrass, a winner at PJ West, another short Pete Dye design that's basically modeled directly after uh, the stadium course of Sawgrass. Three top fives 
uh, at Wyndham in addition to his 2016 win. So he basically owns Sedgefield. If you talk from a strokes game perspective, he's the king of Sedgefield um, over the last kind of half dozen years. Uh, he has a runner-up at Harbortown, a third place at Mayakoba, a fourth here at Wildland 2016. So just that's where he's – this is a golf. This is the type of golf course where he's made his money historically over the course of his career. And when you talk about his kind of a recent form, um, you know, he rates out inside the top 10 over the last three years on comp courses. He's fourth in weighted proximity model from 125 to 200. Um, and then, you know, another thing that him and my other outright bet to this point, Cam Davis, have in common is – an impressive outing at last year's President's Cup. Uh, Siwoo was the leading point scorer for the international team and a couple big-time putts down the stretch. He switched to that broomstick putter, uh, beat JT one up there on Sunday, making some big putts. And so, you know, we've seen former international debutants, you know, guys like Cam Smith, Sung J.M., Tom Kim. They nabbed PJ Tour victories in pretty much direct aftermath of kind of a positive President's Cup performance. Um, so I'm kind of writing that... A uh, little way there with Siwoo and then again with Cam Davis, who who scored two points for the Nationals there as well. So both those guys, President's Cup teammates, um, I think they both fit this course really well. And we got solid numbers here at 40 and, and 45 to 1. So Cam Davis, Siwoo, uh, as of now, again, the uh, the two leading members of, of the FHP card this week. And um, not the same number that we got them on our card, but same two uh, or another two guys in that same range currently, at least. Yeah. Um, with uh, Grio and um, Gary Woodland. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start with Grio. Uh, <laughs> I know he's anywhere from 50 to 65 to 1. Again, if you guys ever need the source of the numbers I post on Twitter, I'm more than happy uh, to disclose where I, where I get my numbers at. Um, but, yeah, Grio 66 to 1. I, I endorse the 50. I think Grio – we talked about Keegan Bradley being a little bit of an arbitrage play from your chalk guys like Connors and Henley and Hoagie. At the top, Grio – very much in the same vein, except for you get an extra 25, 30 points, uh, even in comparison to Keegan. 66 to 1 is the number I got. But when you think about Grio, his game aligns a lot with the guys that I was wrestling with at 20 to 1. You know, super accurate off the tee, great iron player. We saw really some solid flashes with the putter down the stretch there in the fall swing. Uh, finished runner up at the John Deere last year. Again, a short positional golf course, a lot of wedges, a lot of putts need to be made. Uh, you know, top five of the Sanderson, top five of the Zozo. So we've seen enough flashes from Grio in the fall. And I know maybe you don't get the same consistency that you would out of a guy like a Henley or Connors. Like I think obviously those guys are much safer options in your top 20 markets, in your top 10 markets, what whatnot. But I think the upside is actually quite similar with Grio as a guy that, you know, he's contended at uh, my Cobra throughout the year. He's contended at Harbor Town. So a lot of, he checks a lot of the same boxes in terms of comp course history. And uh, at 66 to 1, again, it felt like a really solid buy low spot for a guy that does a lot of the things that you would you would expect um, a player to have success here at, at, at Sony. So, yeah, Grio at 66 is, is a number that I've, I've clicked. And then Gary Woodland at, at 90. Uh, I don't know to this point what the best number you can get on Woodland is. It's a 60 to 1. So he's really kind of fallen on the odds board. Um, even the play, the shop I got a 90 on, he's down to 75 to one. So that's the best thing I see, um, currently, but this is a bit more speculative. I will admit, um, 50 to one is a little bit less compelling of a price, obviously, uh, for a guy that maybe doesn't possess the, again, the same amount of consistency we've seen from, you know, your Siwoo's, your, your Grios, your Cam Davis's. This is a little bit less statistically backed, even though Woodland did have a really solid week in his last outing, finished T9 at Houston. 
uh, gained 5.2 strokes on approach, 7.4 from Tita Green. And then you think about Woodland's history here at Sony in particular, last five starts, third, 13th, sixth, seventh, and then he, uh, he finished 80th in 2019. But um, a really, really nice run of starts here at Sony in particular. You think about when, when Woodland was at his peak, like short positional – uh, coastal golf courses. I think it's kind of check, check, check in terms of that. Mike Kobe, he contended, obviously won the U.S. Open in Pebble Beach, um, played really well at the Honda this past year as well. So when Woodland has popped, it's been on these type of correlated tracks. And so um, even though, yeah, he's been a lot more frustrating than, um, you know, the guys maybe around him on the odds board, I think this is a good spot for him to maybe get right. And certainly if you're going to give me a number boarding on 90 to 1, 100 to 1, uh, I'm going to take that shot. So, uh, yeah, Woodland 19 to one, and then we'll kind go ahead and move on uh, to. I know we're already over an hour, so uh, we'll just go ahead and and keep things rolling here with Adam Spenson at 100 to one. I kind of had to. Uh, I, I do apologize to Chris because I, I I meant to send uh, to the group chat that I intended up betting the 80 to one on Bovada. Uh, he fell to 66, and then I got 100 to one last night on Byron Show. Actually, live is the is the time where I actually added this bet. Uh, but you can still find 80 to ones. Uh, around on Spenson, if I recall. Let's see here. Make sure I'm not, again, blowing smoke off y'all's asses. Yeah, Unibet has an 80. Points Bet has an 80. Bet Rivers has an 80. So uh, if you know anybody in Virginia, I know Chris lives in North Carolina, so maybe he can he can call in a favor with his his Virginia friends uh, to get that Bet Rivers 80 on, on a guy like Spenson. But look, this is a guy that we've been bullish on for quite some time. It feels like every time we bet him, it's the same exact argument. He's basically the the less consistent Corey Connors, um, although he has actually had a win in the last five years, obviously winning the RSM Classic and a super um, comparable course there at, at Sea Island. So keeps the ball in the fairway, phenomenal iron player. And if the putter heats up, he's already proven that, you know, he's he's gotten the job done in, in the biggest pressure situation. Played last week. He's actually the only guy on the card to this point that did play last week in the Century Tournament Champions. So uh, Spenson, 100 to 1. I'm going to keep kind of riding the wave here. He was our last outright, obviously, at 145 at, at the uh, at the RSM. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's really all I need to all I need to say. I mean, if you if you win the RSM Classic and he's a guy that's come fourth, I believe, at the Sony, um, played quite well uh, here last year as well. Oh yeah, he played. He finished ninth here last year, and then actually on his debut, he's only played here twice. Finished ninth and 42nd. His debut round, round one in 2020. Uh, shot at 862 to take the first round lead. So granted the first round lead, uh, leader markets, I think Spence is actually a pretty good shout. He's played quite well over here over the course of his career. He's shown that he can he can go low going, I think he went like 62, 65 to close out uh, there at Sea Island on the uh, on the seaside course of par 70. So um, yeah, that's all I got about. That's all I have to say about Spenson, Cam Davis, uh, Siwoo Kim, Grio, Woodland Spenson. That's all I've got so far. Pretty light considering our typical Tuesday afternoon conversations, Tuesday evening conversations. Uh, but like I said, just more room for potential live ads. And um, yeah, I just couldn't really make that distinction at the very top. So I figured let's post the card on Tuesday and, uh, you know, I'll keep the people updated, obviously, if, if a move is made between now and then. But um, I like the card we've got and it's always nice to have some flexibility going into into the tournament. So knowing that you're going to have your your noted shortlist that you talked about on on Byron's show when you come into a situation when you're looking to have live ads, I do want yeah. to throw three more names at you that I want to see if they're on your shortlist. Um, okay. 
Will Gordon, Ben Griffin, Hayden Buckley. Dude. Okay, yeah. So so let's start with Griffin. Uh okay. give me a no for me, only because of what he did towards Bermuda. <laughs> like oh, okay. I, I think if you if you like if you can't close out at Bermuda, like I don't really trust you in the outright market for an upper rung event at Wiley. So from that perspective, I know he's like triple digits. He's probably the lowest price of the three names you mentioned. Um, but yeah, uh, Benny Boy is, is going to be left on the sidelines. And uh, I don't mind him in like a top 40, top 20 market. I think he could have a good week for a lot of the same reasons I liked him at Bermuda. Um, but yeah, I will be, I, I crossed uh, Ben Griffin's name. I, be, I crossed off Ben Griffin's name on this uh, this little list right here. So he's actually, uh, so their prices, well, do you want me to say their prices now? Or do you want me to, do you want to do your layout and I'll tell you their prices after? Um, I think I, I mean, we're talking about Bovada, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say Buckley and Gordon are pretty close. Right. And then Griffin's a little bit behind them, like 20 points behind them. No. Buckley's 66. Griffin's 80. Will Gordon's a hundred. Griffin's 80. Yeah. Okay. Then there's a definite no on Ben Griffin. I mean, <laughs> if he was like 150, you might be able to talk me into it, but that's a lower price than we saw at Bermuda. Yeah. I guess, I guess they're giving him credit for the, for the T2, which, yeah. Fair enough. I hope I hope he goes out and have a good week. I'm just not gonna. I'll be losing <laughs> money if, if Ben Griffin wins this golf tournament. Uh, Buckley is a guy that I think is a bit of a square peg in a round hole this week. The things that he does super super well, long iron play and driving, um, I think are quite mitigated here. So that would be the reason I'm not on Buckley. Um, if we kind of fast forward to maybe a Tory Pines, if he's in that field, not to win, but I think Buckley could have a really really good week at a place that emphasizes you have to hit a lot of drivers. You had him long and straight in Buckley. Probably one of the better all-around drivers in this field and on the PJ Tour in general. So I do like his prospects for the rest of the year. This is not the best spot for him. Uh, but the guy by far that has my my most interest is Will Gordon. Uh, I think you said 80 to 1, 100 to 1? 100 to 1. Okay, yeah, that that's gotten a lot better. I saw 66 early this week, and that was kind of frustrating because he was a name I had circled as a bit of a sleeper. Um but, yeah, you talk about Will Gordon's last two starts. Came third place at Mayakoba, 15th at uh, RSM. Another guy in the similar mold as Cam Davis, a guy that bombs up the tee, but it seems like he has his best results on shorter golf courses. I mean, his, his kind of uh, hello world moment was a third place win at the Travelers in his rookie year in 2020. So, North Carolina kid, obviously come from all Bermuda, Bermuda grass. Um, so... Yeah, uh, Will Gordon, I think 100 to 1 as it gets into the trouble digits, it becomes a lot more interesting. But I, I do remember seeing 66 on Monday morning and being completely turned off. Um, but yeah, of the three, you could definitely talk me into Gordon a lot more than a Buckley or a uh, or a Griffin. So um, yeah. Right, I, I lied. I have one more name. Let's do it. Just, be, just because I feel like I feel like I've brought this guy up for the past two Sonys. So it just has to come. Yeah. Do, you, do, you know who has, who, do you know who it is? Ryan Palmer. How yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny is he was playing so well uh, in 2022. I think he had like the share of the first round lead or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. out of nowhere because I completely like I completely blew you off when you brought his name last time, and I looked up on Friday and he was like tied for the lead. Uh, no, dude, he's been playing a trick. <laughs> tr- yeah, miscut, miscut, t45, miscut, t20, miscut. So. Uh, yeah, if Ryan Palmer wins, I'm, I'm just going to lose money. That's, you have, you kind of have to take your stands. Uh, that's a pretty easy one to take for me personally. So if Ryan um, Palmer wins, you pay me $125 because that's his odds right now. What do I get? 
You said, you said you lose money. <laughs> well, why don't you just bet the dollar? <laughs> Fair. Trying to, trying to really call some, uh, yeah, trying to just call my cow money back from me. <laughs> Taking a first. Um, but no, nah, yeah, I mean, look, 125 to one. No, I, I would I would much rather go to Gordon, but I, I, I see your point. It, just in the fact that he played well here last year, but uh, but yeah, I no, I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing else to say. Like, yeah, you've kind of stumped me. Like, I, I don't really have that many nuggets on on Ryan Palmer. So, um, but yeah, I would say just in general, what you should expect. Um, I know there are some guys like a uh, Will Gordon or Nick Hardy that I like to kind of dabble in. I've seen Shaz Arabia at two hundred to one, which is like my kryptonite a little bit. Grayson Sig one fifty, like okay. But I think if oh, Robbie Shelton's a name that I actually don't mind. Um, he's a guy that actually came inside my inside the top fifteen in my model. Um, a guy that's popped up at Bermuda uh, this past fall. Uh, winner on the Corn Ferry Tour, won twice on that tour last year. Tenth of the RSM, fifteenth of the Shriners, another short golf course. Twenty third of Bermuda, like I said. So if you are looking for a long shot in the triple digits, like Will Gordon, Robbie Shelton, those would be my kind of two favorites. Um, yeah, so that was a name that I kind of forgot to bring up, but yeah, he was a name I certainly looked at. But if we're being honest here, I kind of already went over my favorite guys, like beyond 40 to 1. Um, they've already made my betting card. So I think with I've, I've got 9.5 units invested, I've got about eight left, which is around about 14 to 1, um, based on kind of the, the scaling that I do. So it's either kind of two guys in the 20s or a Tom Kim or a Sung Jay. I would say come come kind of Monday or Tuesday or come sorry Thursday uh, or Friday uh, morning. It's the live ads start flowing, but yeah, man, time will tell. I'm happy with the car we built, and like I said, full field events, 144. So it's gonna be a crazy couple a uh, couple mornings or actually a couple afternoons there with with Hawaii time being five hours behind us. So a little bit of prime time golf. Hopefully, uh, second straight week of having a live ticket on Sunday, and hopefully the golf got smile upon us a little bit better than it did on uh, on Sunday night last week. So, yeah, man, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, um, I'll we go back over the card one more time for anyone who didn't catch it or hasn't seen it on Twitter. So it's Cam Davis at uh, 40 to 1, Sibu Kim at 45 to 1, Emiliano Grillo at 66 to 1, Gary Woodland at 90 to 1, and Adam Spenson at 100 to 1. Um, only nine and a half units invested thus far. Um, so obviously, like Ian said, a good week to have the tweet notifications on um, as live ads come through. So... As Ian said, we hope to have a little bit better luck and maybe a little bit more cheerful come <laughs> next Tuesday night. Um, we pulled it off good, though, for the most part. We tried. Yeah, we really tried. Even though they knew. They knew it was coming, you know. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, with that being said, guys, we will talk to you next week and hopefully be talking winners. See you.